Well, good morning, Branch Church. It's a blessing to be with you all this morning, everyone here and all of our church family online as well. There are things in this life that are good when they're accomplished, but then they lose that good if they're not applied. So my wife and I were expecting our fourth child. Yeah, praise the Lord. And we're due March 30th, and we found out Monday we're actually going to have a girl. So the girls are just completely dominating our household. I don't know about yours. <laughs> but let's say that when my daughter comes, my wife's not around and she needs to eat. So it's my turn to get her a bottle. I need to feed her. And so I do it. I get the bottle, get the milk, right temperature, all that stuff. And I accomplish it. I got it. It's ready to go. But then I leave it on the counter. That thing I accomplished now loses its good because it was not actually applied and given to my daughter. I think of the same thing with anesthesia. What a blessing, huh? I mean, to go under intense surgeries and to be able to go out and not have to feel that kind of pain that people would used to feel, that's an amazing accomplishment. But that accomplishment, it'll lose its good if it's not applied before the surgery. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples. And as he's getting ready to leave, they're in sorrow. Their hearts are hurting. We don't want you to leave. And then Jesus says, this is actually a good thing. How is this a good thing? He tells them, it's to your advantage that I go. That will be a key word for us this morning. Your advantage. Why? Because the spirit is going to come and the spirit is actually going to apply the work of Jesus to people's lives. What good is the accomplishment of the cross if there's no understanding, if there's no application, if it's not actually followed through? So they don't realize it at this point, but it's to their benefit. It's their blessing that the spirit is going to leave so they can have everything they need to know in Jesus and be able to live that out. This morning, as we continue in John chapter 16, we are going to learn the following, that Jesus's absence means the advantage of the Spirit applying His work. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to John chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 4, halfway through where we left off last week. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. Jesus picks up and He says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. This refers back to last week. Jesus did not tell them about all the persecution being kicked out of the synagogues and possibly even death they were going to face at that time because it wasn't time to tell them this. Jesus was with them. He was taking the brunt of these things. But now that he's going to leave, they need to be very aware of how they're going to be treated. How will they be treated? Just like their master. And we talked about that last week. Jesus says, but now I'm going to, uh, going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? You could, might be able to argue from John 14 that they have asked this. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It seems to be in my study that they're not actually asking, where are you going destination? They're more protesting, why are you leaving me? So for example, if a dad comes home and he promises his daughter that he's going to do tea party with her, and he comes home, and two minutes into tea party, he gets a phone call, and then he's like, sorry, honey, I got to go to work. And she says, where are you going? She knows where he's going. He just told her. What is she really doing? She is protesting. Why are you leaving me? 
So it seems the disciples are more protesting, why are you leaving me, than trying to understand where are you actually going when you leave? Verse six, Jesus says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Key word. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to our advantage. It is to our profitable benefit that Jesus is physically not with us in this building right now in the way that they had him at this time. And he's gonna give us three specific ways in which it is to our advantage because the spirit has come and the spirit is applying the work of Christ. We'll look at number one together in verses eight through 11. Jesus says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The first thing that the Spirit is going to do in the absence of Jesus physically on this earth is he's going to apply this. He's going to bring worldwide conviction. Worldwide conviction in three specific areas. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in the passage... Each time he mentioned one of these, he gave a little disclaimer, a little explanation so we could better understand exactly what he's talking about and what the Spirit will do. So the first one here is the Spirit will bring worldwide conviction concerning sin. Why? Because people don't believe in me. The Spirit is going to convict people of their unbelief in Jesus. Often we can use the Ten Commandments to try to help people see their sin. And I think it's good. Have you lied? Have you cheated? Have you, have you lusted? Have you stolen? And we look at it and we all realize we don't measure up to God's law. And that law points us to the grace that we find in Jesus. Another way that is good for us to know is to point people to the life and the teachings of Jesus. If you don't believe what Jesus has said and revealed about God, that's sin enough, unbelief enough to put you under the condemnation of God. But how amazing is the spirit to come and to be able to work worldwide in the hearts of people to tell them you're wrong about Jesus. He's actually completely true in what he has said. That's an amazing work, better than any of us could ever do. Do you want your unbelieving family member, your unbelieving neighbor, coworker, son or daughter to believe? We need to pray beyond ourselves and pray the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the unbelief that is in them. God uses us as church. He will use us as the arms and the legs and the feet and the mouth of the body of Christ and so on. But there is no substitute for the work of the Holy Spirit. It is him who does it. He will also bring worldwide conviction concerning righteousness. Now this could be one of two things. This could be righteousness that they don't measure up. So we think of something like Romans 3.23 for all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. That could well be it. I don't think it is though. I lean towards the second option that it refers that the Holy Spirit will convict concerning righteousness. That is that Jesus was raised from the dead and he was shown to be justified before the father. Why do I think that? He will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the 
Father. So when Jesus raised from the dead, what did God do? He declared to everybody that Jesus was actually in the right. He was righteous. He was true. Everything he said, you can absolutely bank your life on it. So not only bringing people to the work of Jesus to help them see their unbelief, but I think another way is help us or for us to do is to help bring people to the resurrection of Jesus. This is a key cornerstone of our faith. Paul even said it, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're to be pitied above all men. We don't really have a savior, he's dead. But because he has risen, we bring people to the resurrection and go, look, either this happened or it didn't. And if it happened, guess what? Everything he said was completely true. And you can be confident that that truly is the answer. And again, we trust in the spirit to bring that ultimate conviction. The third thing here is the spirit will bring conviction concerning judgment. Jesus says false judgment. What's the false judgment here? People had false judgment concerning Jesus. He died. It looked like a criminal dying. But was it actually a criminal dying? In a way, he took our sin, but ultimately he wasn't dying in that way. Or he was, but ultimately he wasn't being condemned before God. It was actually the devil that was being condemned before God. Colossians 2.15, Jesus was breaking the power and the authority of the principalities to accuse you of your sin. Jesus took care of all that. So the spirit will bring conviction that Jesus is not the one truly condemned to hell. He was condemned for our sin, but he rose again and you should believe in him for the work he has done. So the spirit will come and bring worldwide conviction. He will convict people of their greatest error, which is unbelief in who? Jesus, the spirit will come and help people understand Jesus and believe upon him. Have you experienced the convicting work of the spirit in your life? My life was on this trajectory and on this trajectory, I had no thoughts about God. I had no desire to glorify him. I sat in church for many years in many places. I can't once tell you that I heard any sermon. It was amazing. It was like I was blind and deaf. And it wasn't because I wasn't just not paying attention. Like I literally couldn't hear because I was spiritually dead. And then all of a sudden, God and playing football at San Diego State, I'll spare you my testimony again. And playing there, God opens my eyes, takes the blinders off, and all of a sudden starts to direct my path away from this one. I want to go to church. I want to go to chapel. I want to know more about God. What was happening? The Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, was opening my eyes to Jesus Christ. I don't know how much I could tell you, but I desired him and I started to believe. And it was a process. Have you experienced the convicting work of the Spirit in your life? If you have, if you are, don't turn from it. Believe, give your life to it. This is one of the most gracious works of God that he will do in your life is telling you who his son is so you could be saved. You're drowning. He's telling you. He's telling you where the lifeboat is. You're falling off a cliff. He's giving you the parachute. What do you do? You say, yes, I believe. That's the first work of the spirit. The second one is this. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What things does Jesus have to say? I think the answer is this. Jesus has to more to explain about the significance of what he is doing. 
Remember, he's getting ready to die, to resurrect. One, they don't even understand that fully. And two, they don't understand the significance of why he needs to die. They're not ready to hear it just yet. Verse 13 though, but when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit that is who communicates truth. Didn't someone else claim to be the truth in John 14, 6? Oh yes, Jesus. We have truth here, truth telling. The Greek says this, when the spirit of truth comes, that one, he will convict, or I'm sorry, he will guide you into all the truth. The second thing the spirit will do is he will come in the absence of Jesus and he will guide us into the truth. Jesus says the truth, meaning something very specific in mind. I don't think the spirit is gonna come and teach them how to play volleyball. He's not gonna come and teach them how to sew. He's not gonna teach them physics necessarily or geography or math. He's gonna teach them the truth. What is the truth? It is the significance and the understanding of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. This is a promise for the original disciples and apostles. The spirit will come and teach them the truth. And guess what? It's exactly what he does when we read in Acts. And then what does the spirit do? He moves the men to record these words. God vouchsafes these words. He preserves them. And as the church 2000 years later, we are also being guided into all the truth because the spirit has given it. This is why I'm so passionate about teaching the word of God on Sundays. This is why I'm passionate about explaining this. At the end of the day, I want you to know this because this, the work of the spirit with the word of God is what will change you. A charis- the, the charisma, the good looks, the, the funny stories, the interesting life of a pastor will do nothing for you ultimately. It will not. So it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you understand the significance of the work of Jesus Christ. And the spirit has been gracious to come and to guide us into all the truth. There are some things you just can't know unless someone else tells you. When you're born, you don't remember the day you were born, do you? There may be one of you in here who might try to throw me off. I don't know. You got crazy good memories, but I would venture to say none of you remember the day you were born. You probably don't remember when you were one or two years old. Someone had to tell you. Well, my mom told, tells this story about me uh, when I was about two years old and they were doing yard work outside. And she says, I went around and I locked all the doors of the house <laughs> and they're banging on the door. Sean, let us in. Sean, let us in. And then she says, I went over to the table, I climbed on the table, I sat on the table, and then I took a box of Cheerios and she says, I dumped it on my head. (laughs) Now, first of all, does that sound like anything that I would do? (laughs) I wouldn't know unless she told me. We wouldn't know Jesus Christ, his work and what it means unless the spirit comes and actually tells us. So we say, thank you, Lord, for this benefit, this advantage. I said it a little bit when we were praying, but as I was sitting here when we were singing God's praises, I, I couldn't help but think how amazing is it that you're in this room right now and you're hearing the truth of God. You could be anywhere. You could be in a different religion. You could just not even be anywhere near a church, a Christian church at all, but you're here. Why? Because the spirit has graciously entered into your life and is moving. Isn't that a cause for celebration? That really is amazing. Pastor Chuck was telling me a story this morning. I don't know her name, but she was a a Muslim coming out of the Muslim Brotherhood. I think she was originally a part of it, came out and, and is now proudly telling everyone that she's a follower of Christ. I love testimonies for that reason. 
that it shows God reaching into a dark place, grabbing someone and showing his grace, especially in a place you never thought God's grace would go. It is amazing. Jesus finishes the thought here in verse 13. He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. When the spirit comes, Jesus tells him, he's very clear. He's not gonna come over here and start saying a bunch of new things. He's gonna come in line with the father and with the son and he's gonna continue to share the very words and the actions and the things that they have done. And he will tell you of things to come he will explain again the significance and the ministry and the application of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The last thing here and our third thing this morning, verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. The third thing the spirit will do is he will glorify Jesus. And this is right along with point number two. He will glorify Jesus and he will take. Well, here's, Jesus took the words of the father, the actions of the father, and he showed the disciples. The spirit is gonna come and in that same way, do the same thing so they could understand exactly what he is doing now. Jesus is about to leave. And now in the last part here of chapter 16, he's going to really prepare them for his departure before 17, he prays. Chapter 18, we go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says this. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. That, that's his death. And again, a little while and you will see me. That's his resurrection. So some of his disciples said to another, what, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We, we don't know what he's talking about. That's the third time. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. How many times was that repeated? Four times. That must be significant. Four times in three verses. A little while, you won't. A little while, you will. And right, they have no idea. It's really simple. He's gonna die and resurrect. We know that looking back. But for John, this is a really important theme he's developing, that Jesus is going to leave. He's come from the Father and he's going back to the Father. And so we're watching this theme develop. Jesus is gonna explain a little more clearly here as we go forward. He even says that he's speaking in figurative language. Verse 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. What in the world is gonna happen to where Jesus' disciples are gonna be weeping, full of sorrow, lamenting. While at the same time, the world is throwing a party. This is great. Amen, this is so awesome. What is causing both of these reactions? In the middle, it's the death of Jesus. He doesn't say it directly, but he says that this is going to happen. Jesus knows he's going to die, and he knows the pain that his death is going to produce for his disciples. 
He knows ahead of time the pain they're going to experience. And he prepares them for that pain by telling them it's going to hurt. You're going to grieve. But he also gives them hope beyond the pain that there is joy you're going to experience. And he gives the analogy, just like a woman in labor. My God, does that hurt? But when it's done, joy enters in and joy supersedes that pain. And in fact, he tells them that joy, it'll be yours forever. Grief will be a little while. Pain will be a little while on the earth. But joy will triumph over that and you will have something much greater in the end result and forever. Isn't that amazing? How Jesus prepares them for the pain and tells them about the joy that is to come. I love things that people can't take from you. People can't take from you your experiences you've had with other people, with your spouse, with your kids. In the same way, no one can take from you the blessings and the joy and the hope that God gives to you. Grief will happen on this earth, pain will happen, but joy will last forever. Joy, that is, we will delight in our Savior because he is going to win. And we are already on the winning team. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 23, and that day you will ask nothing of me. Why would they ask him nothing? Because he's not going to be here. They're not going to talk to the incarnate Jesus on the earth. He's going to ascend to the Father. So there's no more, hey, could you clarify this? Hey, could you help me? It's going to be a different way in which they're going to commune with Jesus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. They will now be praying to the Father in the name of the Son, and that is how they will be doing this. And when they do this, they have the blessing of knowing, the assurance of knowing that God will receive the prayers because of the work of Jesus, because of the authority of Jesus. And they also have the blessing of knowing that their joy will be full as they know the Father is receiving these prayers, answering them to what is best to us on this earth. Now, this is, I think, the third time we've come across. You can pray in Jesus' name and he'll give you what you want. We have to be careful that we don't turn this into a magic formula. Jesus, I want a third arm to grow out of my body so I can be really good at basketball. In Jesus' name, amen. No one thinks weird stuff like that? Oh, I do. He's not just gonna give that to you. Money, cars, whatever it is, right? It's filtered through the kind, loving father who answers and hears in the name of Jesus. At the very least, you have the joy of knowing that God hears you and he is making the best decision with what you give to him. And that's a cause for joy with their children. Sometimes with my kids, I just want you to say, yes, daddy. That's it. Yes, daddy. Are we there yet? No, just, just trust me. Where are we going? Are we going? I don't want, just, just, just trust me. Just trust me. I will take care of it. And sometimes we need to hear that in a way from God. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak, you, speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So actually, I messed up a few weeks ago. I gave this idea of Jesus taking your prayer and walking him to the Father. That's not true. That wasn't accurate. 
Jesus is not saying you have to give it to me and then I'll take it to the Father. No, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and your prayers go directly to him because of the authority of Christ. And he already receives that prayer, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus says, I came from the Father, his incarnation, and I have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father, his resurrection, his ascension and exaltation to the right hand of the Father. Verse 29, his disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. We finally get it. And then Jesus is going to respond, and it's like, not so much. (laughs) You do believe he came from the Father. They have an understanding of Jesus as Messiah. It's not full. It's not perfect. Start. Jesus says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. They will scatter in Jesus' greatest time of need, of support, and Jesus will be all alone, but not truly because the Father will be with him as he undergoes the accomplishment of our salvation. Jesus ends it with this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I think this is the whole final discourse. The last three weeks, two weeks, plus this week, Jesus has given them final beliefs he wants them to know. He's taught them about the spirit they need to know. They're gonna have tribulation and trials and treatment from the world. But in the midst of all that, they can be settled and calm because they know the bigger picture of the reality of what's actually happening. That bigger picture of Jesus and what's happening controls the smaller picture of our lives that can feel so shaken at times. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation, except if you live in San Diego. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is getting ready to leave. And he tells him, in my absence, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have opposition. You're gonna have fear. And he tells him this, I want you to take heart. I'm gonna translate that. Capital letters, be courageous. Be of courage. You stand in front of the opposition and you don't move from faith in me. You stand in front of that fear and you do not move from me. Now, I don't think in San Diego we experience physical persecution or physical treatment for our faith. Some of you just might one day, maybe some one-offs, but overall, we are in a free country and people generally don't do that here. But there are other ways in which maybe we should be ready to have tribulation so that we can be courageous and stand. You might be ridiculed. You really believe there's a God? You're so anti-science. Get out of the room, you're not welcome. You really believe Jesus is the only way? You're such a narrow-minded bigot and you might be ridiculed for that. What do you do? Be courageous, absolutely. In fact, because I took Pastor Sean's doctrine class about general and special revelation, I am so fired up to tell you about how God really is real. I look out in creation and I see his attributes of power and divinity. And God has preserved that, we can see it. In fact, God has spoken in his living word. Jesus Christ, his written word, his spoken word. You should believe in him too. How could you not? You might be challenged. You might be challenged to conform. And if you don't, you will be excluded. There was a woman I know who 
worked for a company and I think she did something with HR. I don't remember exactly when she told me the story, looking back. But she was in charge of the events and someone wanted to put on an event that was contradictory to her faith. I think it was something in the LGBTQ area. And she's in tears. What do I do? What do I do? Now I have my job and, and these things I'm supposed to do, but they want to do something that displeases God. What, what am I to do? And Jesus, we remember these words. Be courageous. Pray for clarity. Pray for conviction of that clarity. And ask God to make you courageous in those moments so you can stand at work, so you can stand wherever it is that the Lord has you and may take you. This morning, we have been extremely blessed to be reminded that God has us here. His spirit is working. And in his absence, we know the spirit is applying the work of Christ. How great is it that we could understand, not just know that this happened, but understand the significance and then been given the grace to believe. And when you believe in Jesus, guess what? You have everything you could ever need or want. We stand courageous in this world. If you stand in faith, you're gonna stand out. And as you stand out, stand firm, be courageous. Amen.